This church has been a church that has set the trend for outreach and loving people for years. I've always loved what this church has stood for. You're an amazing uh, leader in the city, and we honor you and we celebrate you. So, y'all take your seat. Let's spend a few minutes uh, talking. I want to first say thank God for my amazing wife who was with me. Amen. She's with me now. Y'all got to clap better than that. Come on. It's my wife. Right? Now, here's what I want you to see. We've been together, and this picture, oh, my God, this was pre-COVID, you know? So y'all know what I mean by pre-COVID, you know? Like, I have eaten, like, 97 cheeseburgers since this picture. And uh, so uh, she's, she has taught me how to love. I didn't know how to love. I was her damaged goods, and she taught me how to love. We have a blended family. Our family is humongous. I have my own football team, okay? Check it out. I think they got a picture of my family. I have a huge tribe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got my own football team. So those of you who have blended families, I'm the king of blended families, okay? So if you wanna, if you wanna hear about how to survive some horror stories, uh, talk to me, talk to my wife. But one thing about her, she put us all together and said, listen, you are not going to be the cause to disrupt our marriage. So we're going to come together and we're going to be an amazing family. Now we love each other so much. We talk, we, we do whatever we got to do to keep it together. So I thank God for my wife. I thank God for my family. Finally, I coached at Oklahoma State under Coach Rob Glass and Mike Gundy for 16 seasons. And this I just stopped last year to go into ministry full-time. The whole time I've been bivocational, and uh, we're really more than bivocational, but I was coaching there, being there 4.30 in the morning till 7, 8 o'clock. If you coach, you know what I'm talking about. It never stops. And uh, that was pre-COVID. I was pretty lean, 235, about 6% body fat. I need, I need that back. I wish I could just switch real quick. But I enjoyed that job. That was probably the most difficult decision to make was to walk away from that career because I loved it. It was an amazing career. And Coach Gundy made room for the people of faith, and uh, it was important to him. And I had to bring that up because I know the pastor is an ex-cowboy, and I don't know how many cowboys are in here. But I... so, the rest of you, so the rest of you must be Sooners? Like, <laughs> I could tell because y'all were like, like, I don't give a stink about the Cowboys, all right? You know, I have good friends that are Sooners, so it's all good. Can we clap our hands for both schools? Can we do that? I want to spend a little time teaching today. I'm going to do something different that I wouldn't normally do, uh, but the Spirit of the Lord was on me about the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel of course, we know from an S a logical perspective, it's about end times, it and revelation. But we're not teaching end times. We know that the book is probably more famous for the three Hebrew boys and Daniel in the lion's den. You don't talk about Daniel without talking about the lion's den and without talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the most probably two powerful stories. But as I begin to meditate on the revival, knowing that revival is more than sequential services, 
and that the revival is a fire that is within you. It is an awakening. And the more I begin to look at the text and to sit and pray with the text, the Lord showed me that the Hebrew boys, they didn't need a revival. They were already awake. Daniel didn't need a revival. He was already awake. So then as I began to pray about it, the Lord said, I want you to talk about, I want you to do a series today. And I want to teach three phases in each service. So what, I, what you get, they won't get. It'll be different. But if you want to hear it, you have to stay. <laughs> I'm going to teach a series that they call the Seeking Savior. Because the Savior is seeking the lost. He's looking for those who don't have it together. He's looking for those that desire to be with him. But what's remarkable about the book of Daniel is that God wanted to shake Nebuchadnezzar. That's where the revival was. The revival wasn't in the, the jaws of the lion that was shut. The revival wasn't in the furnace. Revival was in a king who had captured, the Bible says that he had besieged Jerusalem. Besieged means to surround. I'm not a military guy, but those of you that are military guys know what that means. They put the squeeze on the city. They put the squeeze on the city, starved them, and forced them to surrender. Armed forces besieged them. I think many of us know what it's like for the enemy to besiege you, to squeeze you. To squeeze you, to make you surrender into a lifestyle that you don't want to be in. And so we've got Nebuchadnezzar, who's this, uh, this crazy king, and God's seeking to shake him. But the interesting thing about God shaking him or seeking him to shake him, he uses these Hebrew boys. And in my topic for today, for this service, I want to talk about Poised for the problem. Being poised for the problem. Because the interesting thing about God is he doesn't always reveal to you his reason for your role in the problem. And so you're in the problem. You know you're not the problem. But if you stay in the problem too long, you start thinking that you are the problem, that you do have the problem. And what's interesting about God, we all know Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the what? Plans. Well, he knows them. I don't. So if he knows the plan, my job is to know the scripture. If he knows the plan, then I know the scripture. What is the scripture? For he's going to do what? You know what? Prosper. What else? I'm not going to harm you. And I have what? Come on. Come on, North church. You have a future and a hope. So if I know that he's not going to harm me, and I know that I have a future, and I know that whatever I'm going in, if I don't know the reason, at least I know I've got a future, which means I'm not going to die in it. That lets me know that he's going to give me hope in it. So my job when I'm being poised in a problem is to understand that there must be something bigger than what I feel. There's got to be something greater than the pain that I feel. So in this text, in chapter 1, 
Verses three through five in the NIV version, it says, then the king ordered Eshbenaz, chief of the court councils, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them daily amounts of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. So here you have, I don't know if you guys remember Jesus in the New Testament when he says he's been anointed to set the captives free. You remember that? You've got in this book pictures, quick flashes of that verse. Now we have the anointed one in the Old Testament before he ever says a thing out of his physical flesh in the New Testament, acting out what he says. We've got the anointed one Capturing the capturer. Nebuchadnezzar, who is capturing his people, now we've got Jesus trying to capture the capturer. And in this text, you see flashes of him before he ever has flesh. And he highlights what he wants to do with a remnant of just a few young men. We call them the three Hebrew boys. But in reality... Four, because Daniel is not included in our church services when we're giving him the gold, because Daniel stays back. But there will be no three Hebrew boys if there's no Daniel, because Daniel goes back to tell them what we need to do to be poised for this problem. Oh, let me take my time. Let me take my time. I feel good. Where's my brother that I saw this morning? His name was Joe. I saw him when I walked out. He doesn't know me. We're not even brothers. That's not Joe, not that one, the other one. Where's the guy I saw with the pink shirt on? The rocked up brother. Where is he? He's, he's, real, he's white, okay? <laughs> Stand up, brother. Yeah, you. He's like, me? Yeah, I'm talking about you. How old are you? When I get 62, man, I gotta look like you. Can y'all clap your hands, man? I just wanted to stop in my sermon and just tell you that. I walked out of the church this morning and I seen him standing over there like this. And I just said, man, you're jacked, my God. 62 years old, you look rocked up. I believe Nebuchadnezzar probably looked like you. He was jacked up. In the text, you'll notice in the text, God is trying to give this man a spiritual awakening. And I believe God wants to do that right in this city. But he's going to use you to do it. He's going to use you to break the grip of systematic racism. He's going to use you to break the grip of civil unrest. He's going to use you to do it because you're in the middle of it. You don't know the reason for the persecution or the argumentation, but you have the spirit of God in you. And that is enough to allow you to sit and balance the pressure from both sides. 
And when you're in the middle of it, sometimes it can be difficult and you'll feel like leaning to one side more than you do the other. It's normal, it's natural. But God gave you an anointing to be the bridge between all of the problems and he wants to use this church to do it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, 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 it's you got so many different races in this one church. That's for a reason. This is a remnant of what the world should look like. There's not many churches where you can see different types of people in one room. Normally there's one that's more than the other and there's a few and then we call ourselves multi-generational, multi-ethnic, but there's really one dominating group. Your church is a picture, it's a microcosm of what God wants to do and he wants to use you to do it. I want you to look at your brother or your sister and tell them you're strong enough to do it. Oh, it was so weak. Come on, that was so weak. That was so weak. Wake up, my God. Come on, say it with some power. You're grown, okay? Look at your neighbor and tell them you're strong enough to do it. Let's talk about captivity. The captivity. There's a time when you're captured, you're at the will and the mercy of others. And in this text, the Babylonians have captured Israel. And what they decided to do, Pastor, they separated the prominent Jews from just the basic Jew. The basic Jew stayed back, or the Hebrew stayed back. And then they took the prominent ones, the one that we described in the earlier scripture that we read, the ones that were quick to learn, the ones that were handsome, strong, had a wonderful appearance. They took them to retrain them. When you've been captivated, when you've been taken captive by the enemy, he wants to give you new language and he wants to give you new literature. So he will change your environment without your permission. He will lure you with sound. He will lure you with invitation. He will give you special invitation. See, one thing the enemy does that we don't really learn from is that he'll give you special attention. And if you don't know how to handle attention, attention will become your God. And when attention becomes your God, you'll leave your family that didn't pay you attention. You'll walk away from your spouse because they didn't pay you attention. You'll leave your church because they didn't pay you attention. Attention is a monster. If you want to see somebody change, and if you want to see where they're changing, look and see what has their attention. So not only do we notice that their attention is shifting, but he's trying to reprogram them. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with that with your children. Yeah, send your kids off thinking that you've deposited enough scripture in them. And then when you come back and see them six months from now, they still look the same, but something's changed. They've received special attention from something that's creating a shift from the norm. And here's the issue. Why is that a problem? I'm going to tell you. Because your influence is attached to the identity that you expose. 
whatever you're exposing will multiply. Whatever you're showing will grow. Because you're showing people how to live in captivity. And so when you're captive and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to move and you don't know how to ebb and flow through the problem that you're going through, if what you've given yourself attention to, the literature, the language, the shifting, it will create new chemistry and new culture. And when it creates this new chemistry, this new culture, it will gradually pull you from who you are. And you won't know what you've created, but you've put yourself in an environment. I'm so glad that these Hebrew boys said, I'll learn your language. I'll look at your art. Daniel tells them, I don't want your cuisine. I don't want your food. He says, I'll tell you what. You let us eat fruit and vegetables. And then the guard says, well, if I do that, Nebuchadnezzar is going to, he's going to kill me. Pay attention to what the guard is saying. If I do that, I am afraid of what he will do to me. Daniel has enough nerve to actually say, give it a try. I wonder, North Church, 830, are there some standards that you will just stake your life on? Are there some you'll just say, I'm not going beneath this. I'm okay with that, and I'll let that slide, but I'm not changing this. See, that's what God needs for revival to take place. Somebody's gotta be bold enough to say, I'm okay with that. I'll let that slide, but this, I am not going to defile my body. This is what Daniel says. He says, I'm not going to eat your food for it's going to defile my body. How much stuff have you consumed that has defiled who you are? Because you didn't have the nerve, the fortitude, the power to stand and say, I'm not going to do it. Glory to God, it touched me. Can you look at your trouble, your troublemaker, those that are trying to come up against you and say, you know what, I know you specialized in featuring me right now and I can handle the feature, but I'm not taking that. I'm not gonna allow you to change how I think. I'm not gonna allow you to change what I worship. I'm not gonna allow you to do anything to my family. You can do what you want, but this, you will not change. And so Daniel says, Tried for 10 days. He says, all right. The Bible says that they tried for 10 days. He comes back. And they look better than everybody else. Now, this is remarkable. Because God didn't tell Daniel to do that. God didn't tell him, Daniel, tell them 10 days. Why am I saying that? Because that's what you're waiting on to take a stand. You're waiting on a voice to come from the clouds. You're waiting on a prophet to tell you, don't do it. You ought to have the nerve to just say, I'm going to stand because of what I believe in. Glory to God. So he stands, he says, they come back in the 10 days, they look better. Woo, 
I want you to look at your brother and sister, and I want you to prophesy to them, okay? And I know you may not be a prophet, but I want you to look at them and say one word, better. That is what I want you to prophesy over your wife, over your family, over your business, over all your relationships, over all your partnerships. You've got to prophesy. If you don't prophesy, who's going to? If you don't pray, who's going to? you got to stop waiting on the special visitation and stand in who he called you to be. And if you are a child of God, then you are an offspring of God, which means you are the sons and daughters of God. And if that's who you are, you can say what your father says. Somebody say, I'm better. I sounded louder than you and it's 300 of y'all in here. Come on, scream it out, I'm better. You gotta say it like you mean it. You gotta shout it like you think it because I believe that when we go through problems, the intensity is the first thing to leave. You keep the language and you start sounding like what you're going through. He's a miracle worker. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. He's a good God. I want to be tried by fire. Really? Take whatever you desire. Lord is my life. God's like, I don't want to try you. If I let one inch of fire hit you, you've melted. It's over. You're done. You're done. But he's trying to position you because what you're going through is bigger than you. So he's trying to give you poise, gracefulness, collectedness, chest out, head up. But God, I, I've captured. You may be physically, but not your worship. Not your pride, not your spirit, not your future, not who you want to be. Chest up, chin up. I'm calling you for something. You don't know my reason, but I need you to understand you're being poised. I'm giving you poise. I want to teach you how to walk through cancer. I want to teach you how to walk through lupus. I want to teach you how to walk through that divorce. I want to teach you how to walk through your children abandoning the family and deciding that they want to go a different way. I want to teach you. I want you to go through poised because when people see you that are struggling with what you're going through, you will be the living testimony of how to deal with captivity. Chin up. Chest up. I want you to learn how to go through. I want you to walk into your job on Monday morning, chest up, chin up, giving me glory in your mind. There was an old song, I'm Pentecostal, I was brought up in Pentecostal church. I know this has, some of you have Assemblies of God background. We would say, I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on Jesus. It didn't just get on it, stayed on Jesus. You've got to figure out how to keep your mind stayed on Jesus through every trial, every situation, even through the trauma. 
How do I stay on Jesus in trouble? You gotta have a Daniel. Somebody in your family's gotta be a Daniel. Everybody can't be quiet. Somebody's gotta stand up and speak up and tell everybody in this room, we ain't going for this. Let's talk about the company. Your company matters. It's hard enough to be captured. But you want to talk about misery? To be captured with bad company. To be pressed with people who are ready to give up every time they feel pressure. With people who want to quit every time the situation gets to a place to where it feels unbearable. The first thing out of your mouth is you want to walk away. You want to give up. You want to abandon. You can't take it. You can't do it. Let me tell you something. God called you for the time that you live in. You, you were born for this reason. He called you for a reason. And he has assembled you together with a group of people that are getting ready to go through problems. I'm not trying to prophesy problems over your life, but I don't think there's a person in this room that don't have something that they're dealing with. But you got to learn how to be poised and you got to have the right people with you. He had guys with him that would pray if he said pray. He had guys with him that would praise if he said praise. He had guys with him that weren't saying, oh, we're captured. We shouldn't be trying to consecrate. We're captured. We shouldn't be trying to do this 10-day deal. We're captured. We should just put the chains on and walk away, walk around and do what they say do. We're captured. That's not what they were doing. They said we're captured, but our hands still belong to God. We're captured, but our feet still belong to God. We're captured, but my mind has been set free. We're captured, but I still have revelation. We're captured, and I'm still going to give God the glory. I want to talk to some captured people that have the right company with them that will say, regardless of what I go through, me and my house will praise the Lord. How many praises are in North Church this morning? King had ordered to change everything. But when Nebuchadnezzar featured them, God favored them. I'll take God's favor over the devil's feature anytime. Many of us leave church because we are starving to be featured when God says, I'm about to give you favor. I'm about to put favor on your life. And you gotta learn that the favor is not a magic one. The favor is God sending people to move things like chess. Let me move you here. Let me move you there. And sometimes he'll move you in problems. Because there's somebody else he's after. He says, I'm not after you. I'm after Nebuchadnezzar. I want to shake him. So I got to show him what it's like 
to not be shaken by people like him. So I'm going to raise you up in this captivity to show him what I'm doing with you for, I'm going to do to the whole nation. Oh my God, hallelujah. So he takes the remnant and he makes an example and he sets them in the problem. And when he sets them in the problem, the only problem I have with this whole chapter is the end of it. It says that after they had trained for three years to be in the service of the king, which would mean after they have trained, that means it would come to a close. This means that they're coming to a conclusion. It bothered me. Because when I come to the end of a thing, I want to be finished. When I come to the conclusion, I want it to be done. I don't know if you've ever been through something and you think the conclusion is coming. It never comes. You thought it was over, but it's just the beginning. They were brought into the king's room to serve him. You know what that's like? Being kidnapped and then being trained to respect the kidnapper. Being raped and being trained to respect the rapist. Being tortured and then being trained to respect the torturer for his service. Not for God's, for mine. I took you, now I'm training you to appreciate me. That's why I wanted to give you my literature and give you my language so you could learn how to compliment me and you could learn how to address me and you could learn how to, 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 to like the finer things that we like. In essence, I wanted to change you. I wanted to erase who you were and create you to be more of me. And so they're in a conclusion that never ends. It's the beginning. It's like thinking that the cancer is gone, but it's not. That the marriage is okay, but it's not. And I want to take this moment, don't you stand on your feet? Because I believe sometimes you don't know why you're in it. And if you look at all the truth, it looks like it's on you. You're captured. It could be a bad marriage, bad job bad interpersonal skills, an inability to connect. Can't close the deal, thought I had it, lost it. I actually thought I got better, but I didn't. I thought it was over, but it's not. It's an ending that I'll never see. I want to pray for those that are in this space. Thought it was over. But it's not. You're going to have to have courage to do what I'm asking you to do. That means you're admitting that it's not what I've made it to look like. We all do that. That's humanity. But I want to take four minutes 
invite you to the altar. The truth is, there's about 30 of you in there this morning. And I want you to move quickly. I'm not going to come down and lay hands on you. I'm just going to stand right here. I want to pray for you. Because that conclusion that never comes becomes a cycle. Something that you're constantly going through. Over and over and over again. Come on. Come on. Come on. Daniel chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. I'm going to do a lot of scripture in the beginning to make this make sense to you. In the first service, we taught from chapter 1. And in chapter 1, we discussed being poised for problems. That all of us have problems. That all of us deal with issues. And that sometimes you don't know what your role is in the issue. And sometimes you don't know God's reasoning for the role. And there's a lot of times you'll question why you're going through what you're going through. And then there's a lot of times people will quit on God and quit on themselves and quit on those that are depending on them because they don't get the reason. Sometimes God doesn't share the reason. All you know is that you're going through that particular problem. And none of us will go through this world problemless. We will always have them. And one of the things we don't teach well is how to go through. We teach well how to come out. And we teach well that it's going to be okay and victory is ours. But sometimes you just got to tell the truth. Look, there is no ending to this right now. And I've got to figure out how to survive this conclusion that never ends. And so this is the setting of this text that these young boys that we preach of all the time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then Daniel, the author himself. You can't read Daniel without thinking about Daniel in the lion's den or without thinking about the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. They are what make that book incredible. But it is a book of eschatology, a book of end times, and it's tied to the book of Revelations. Now, we're not going to talk about eschatology, but what we do want to look at, since we're in revival, not the miracle of the fiery furnace within the Hebrew boys, because they already were awake. They already had the revival. They weren't afraid to walk in the fire. But the truth is, they were in captivity. And while they were in captivity, they didn't know why. And then they were placed in fire, which was a massive problem. But the issue here is, God in this text is the seeking savior. He's not trying to save the Hebrew boys. He's seeking Nebuchadnezzar. He's after the one that has the hand of pressure on his people. And it's something when God will use you to get to your enemy. And you'll be like, God, don't deal. I don't, I don't hey, just go straight to them. I don't, want, I don't want to deal with this heavy hand of yours. I don't want to deal with this pressure. But God has to use you because he wants you to show the king of your issues how to stand in trauma and how to stand in issues and how to stand when things are crumbling and things are breaking. He says, I'm going to use you because I know you will go in fire and still worship me. 
I know you will still go in a den and worship me. I know you won't allow the small little things that make easy people walk away. You're going to stand and rise to the occasion. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to look to the person next to you, and I want you to say it. You're a younger crowd. I want you to stick it out your chest and don't act weak today. And I want you to look at them and say, you're strong enough to go through this. Tell them. Oh, you sound like eighth grade. I want to at least give me some seniors in high school. All right? Give me some seniors in high school with some grip. Look at somebody and say, you're strong enough to go through this. Wow, that sounds so much better. I really hate weak people sitting next to me. I just can't stand them. Somebody weak next to me, you're strong enough. Shut up! (laughs) So in this text, this is the setting. They're in captivity. Okay? The Babylonians, the Babylonians have, have, has besieged Jerusalem. King Jehoiakim, who is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, after they have separated, he has now become the lesser king. So now you've got our King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the Babylonian king, has sent his armed forces to surround Israel besieges them, makes the king work for him. Captures the people, separates the prominent Hebrews from the lesser. He leaves the lessers there, and then he takes the others, the well-educated, the ones that get it quickly, the ones that understand it. The text calls them skilled, handsome even. He takes them and he removes them and he exiles them. So they're exiled, so you gotta see the setting of the text. They've been captured. What do you do when you've been captured? What is your composure when you've been captured? How do you carry yourself when you've been captured? Captured by things that you don't understand. A bad situation, a bad circumstance that you don't have an explanation for. How do you respond? They train them over a three-year period. And over the three-year period, they're supposed to be promoted. Promoted to the king's service. I told the last service, as I catch you up and I'm moving quickly, that's like being raped and then have to appreciate the rapist. That's like being kidnapped and then being taught how to appreciate the kidnapper. You're going to capture me and then train me to appreciate being captured. That's what the enemy does. Because what he did to them, he gave them special attention, fed them literature, language. He put it all in front of their eyes. If it was to be translated to today's time, it would possibly be the device that you have in your hand, the language that you learn, the things that you hear. He's changing the, what you pay attention to, to create a new hunger, a hunger that he identifies with. Changes your image, so you no longer look like what you used to be, but now you look like who captured you. So now those that captured you, you resemble each other. 
which makes your appearance validate their actions. Because we look like family. And not only do we look like family, I serve you. That's the setting of the text. And in the setting of this text, I want to read to you, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue nine feet tall and nine feet wide and set it upon the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent message to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officers, officials, to come to the dedication of this statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the musical, other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown where? Into a blazing furnace. Now pay attention to that verse six. Anyone who refuses to bow will be thrown into a blazing furnace. I wanna talk about a subject today that may make some of you exactly what the subject is. Fury and rage. I was very concerned about teaching this because that would mean you have to admit you got anger issues. You have problems with your temper. And so God said, no, teach it because there's some furious people sitting in there. doesn't make you a bad person, but you struggle with fury. You struggle with rage. You just haven't been caught yet. You haven't been caught with the violence that you say privately. The verbal abuse that you give to your spouse hadn't been heard publicly. The things that you say internally to yourself have damaged you and almost caused you to become sick. You're furious. You're mad at where you are. You're mad that the deal didn't go through. You're mad that you didn't make the kind of money that you wanted to make. You're mad that you wasn't recognized. You're furious. And you've been able to clothe fury. And you've been able to, to protect fury. And I came in here today to do exactly what the Hebrew boys did, is break the mystery of fury. See, what's interesting is that America has been in an anger incubator for the last two years. Blacks against whites, whites against blacks, police brutality, trying to figure out who's right, who's wrong. The world turning upside down. Political wars, red against blue. Old president, new president. Civil unrest, angry 
Things we see now we never thought we would see because fury has come alive. What we had buried, what we thought was not a part of us that would not be seen publicly, those things are starting to leak. You can sense them, you can smell them. How you treat people now is different. Fury and rage is starting to unravel our country. We're being known no longer as the United States, but as the divided states. Because we're furious. Furious with laws, furious with each other, furious with ourselves. But here's what I want you to do. And that's only gonna take at least 100 of you. I don't want everybody, because some of you are, just won't get with it. But I, want you to, I just want you to stick your chest up. I want you to put your chin up. And I want you to praise God with your hands. And as you begin to celebrate God, I believe that the mystery of fury is going to be driven away from us because of how we start praising God. That God's going to send supernatural help into our lives. Come on. 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 Yeah. Hang on to it. Don't turn it loose. It's an extended praise. I want you to break this anger. I want you to break this violence. I want you to break my mindset. Bring us together. No more division. No more separation. I want us to look like what we sound like. Oh, I wish I had a witness here. You can't tell a black clap from a white clap. You can't tell an Asian clap from a green clap because all praise sounds together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, I wish I had a witness in here where the praise is at. Let's break the mystery of fury by praising God in this atmosphere. Somebody shout out hallelujah. I believe heaven hears this. I believe heaven hears it. Oh, somebody give God glory one more time. Be seated. Oh my God. You can't tell the difference between black hands and white hands when they're all clapping for Jesus. That is why the church has to be the example of how to live in problematic times. That you are the example. So when you see this text, the reason why I wanted to focus on verse six, because verse six gives you a picture of this man's fury. He's got problems. And it makes you wonder, was he beat as a child? Was he abandoned? Because wherever you see anger, pain is always underneath. So what happened to him? Now I want you to get this. If you don't worship my God, I'm gonna burn you. Not with an iron. I'm gonna throw you in a fiery furnace and cook you. 
If that's not anger, I don't know what is. But let me show you what. Let me show you something else. And I'm going to read this to you. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, I want you to listen because it's all reading. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, they said, I have a dream that troubles me. This is what he said. And I want to know what it means. So he calls all of his people in. There's no pastors. There's no evangelists. There's no missionaries. There's no nothing, none of that. There's all these magical people, all of these wise people that he trained. He says, tell me what the dream means. Watch it. Listen to it. Daniel chapter 2, verses 4 through 13. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. Watch what the king says. His responses are giving you a picture of his behavior. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubber. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive gifts from me and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Verse seven, once more the king replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Verse eight, then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will tell you, you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on the earth who can do what the king is asking. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of a magician, an enchanter, or an astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued, put the wise men to death, and the men were sent looking for Daniel and the three Hebrew boys. Fury. Something's wrong with him. If you don't worship the God that I built, I'm going to cut you into pieces. Can you imagine going out on a date with Nebuchadnezzar? <laughs> if you don't eat all of your food, I'm going to cut you into pieces. want, this is the king. He's got anger issues. Now I know we're laughing about it, but maybe you're not cutting people into pieces physically, but you cut them into pieces with your looks. You cut them into pieces with your posts. You cut them into pieces when you abandon them. You cut them into pieces when you gossip about them. You cut them into pieces. Fury. This king that we just talked about building the nine feet tall and the nine feet 
white gold statue. Had the dream about this statue in chapter 2. But here's the difference. In chapter 2, only the head was gold. Okay? Only the head was gold. I'm going to show you this so you can catch this. This is all Bible. So the head's gold, and then his chest is silver, and his arms are silver. And then when you go down the body, we begin to see where his body begins to shift, and there's bronze on the thighs and the belly. And then when we get to the bottom, there's the iron, and then there's the clay. There's a mixture of clay and iron, which Daniel is trying to interpret to the king. You gotta pay attention to everything that I'm telling you. How is it that Daniel is able to be this close to tell the king about his dream? It all happened because he was poised for the problem in chapter one. So when he was in chapter one going through all these struggles trying to figure out why, God was prepping him to be next to the one that he's trying to change. So this is why you can't quit in the middle of the trial because you're gonna be the answer to the situation. And then you can't flip mode and try to go off on the person that God's trying to get because God wants to use your gift to change his mind. So then Daniel's poised for the problem. And Daniel's using his gift to communicate to the person that captured him. So now he's sitting here and he tells him, in your dream, you are the head, the head of gold. He said, and after that, these were kingdoms that were coming after you. And then when you get to the feet, there's the mixture of clay and the mixture of iron. The clay represents humanity, iron represents strength. And he says, there's a mixture of the two. But Daniel begins to prophesy and tell him to interpret the dream. He says, there's a rock that's coming. But he says, this rock is not made by the hands of man. He said, and this rock is going to hit the lower part of the foot, which is the clay, and shatter the iron because these two cannot mix. And he says, and when it shatters them, it will be the crumbling of humanity. Now this is what he prophesied to him. Now if you've been prophesied that in chapter two, why would you turn around and build it in chapter three? Y'all hear me? Why would you go out tomorrow when your parents told you you couldn't go out tonight? Sometimes we just do what we want to do. And this is what he does. Rather than making the statue like he saw in his dream, he made the statue like what he saw the head. In the dream, the head was gold. In chapter three, the whole body is gold. So now he says, to keep from happening what you prophesied or what you interpreted, I'll fix the part that didn't crumble because everybody wants to be the head and everybody wants to be ahead. So he takes the whole statue, and now he molds it in gold. And when he molds it in gold, it's really an image of himself because he wants to be worshiped. This furious man has now said, if you don't worship me in essence, I will cut you into pieces. This is where we are. But what I love about this text is that when the word comes out, Ben, that I'm going to cut you into pieces and I'm going to kill all the wise men, oh, brother Daniel, Daniel runs back to the crib and Daniel goes and finds the three Hebrew boys 
I would run, but this, I don't want my mic to fall off, and I don't want to get tired and be breathing heavy for the rest of the sermon. <laughs> so he starts running. <laughs> when you're really running, that's how the, no, the kind of noise you make. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that's not what he called them. He called them by their original names. I need y'all to pray for mercy that I can hear what God has to say so I can tell him what this dream means. Because if I don't tell him what the dream means, he's gonna kill all of us. Now why am I bringing this up? Because who you run to in trauma, in trouble, will determine the kind of trigger you pull. When he runs to them, he doesn't say, well, pray for me because I want God to use me. The other one doesn't say, pray for me because I want God to tell me. Uh, pray for me because I want him to tell me. Daniel, he used you in chapter one, so I want him to use me over here in chapter three. You always got the lead mic. You always on the camera. You always run the sound. You always play the keyboard. Let him use me. That's not what happened. Maybe you can't hear from God because of who you hear all the time. Maybe the company that you have connected yourself to is keeping you from hearing what God wants you to do. But Daniel communicates to his team and they consecrate. And when they consecrate, you know what it reveals to us? That faith will always trump fury, no matter what. That the faith of God will always trump the fury of man. So if you're sitting in here right now and you're struggling with a furious boss or a furious spouse and you've tried to communicate, and you've tried to make it right, and for some reason, your conversation is limited on the side of impact. Change who you're talking to. I want you to reverse screaming at him, screaming at her, and screaming internally to yourself because you can't get the job done, and I want you to turn inside to the one that's living within you and begin to process who God said you are and start telling God, God, you made him, God, you made her, and I can't handle what they're putting down, but I need the faith of a mustard seed to move this mountain in my life because this fury is killing me. Faith in God will always trump I'm gonna move quickly, but I want you to rest on your feet. I want you to rest on your feet, I'm gonna move quickly. I'm gonna to have to re-preach this one because I ain't nowhere down close to my notes. <laughs> the fire that you see later on down in the chapter that we're trying to get to, it was fury that birthed the fire. The fire was a manifestation of Nebuchadnezzar's behavior. Fire will always come from fury. 
Some of you. You didn't get that blessing of walking in the fire and not being burned. You got burned. You smell like smoke. You're still tied up in it. And I want to make an appeal to you that if what I said and you got and you'll be truthful and say, you know what, this, I'm, 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 I'm in that. If you're not the one causing it, you're being affected by it. I want you to meet me down here. God told me to preach this for a reason, and I know you are in this room. I want those of you that are entangled with fury to get down to this altar. I want you to get here now. You don't have time to worry about what he or she thinks about it. Fury is a weapon. It's a weapon of mass destruction. And it will gut you. It will break you. We've been in a series this morning. This is the third teaching. I never finished any of them. <laughs> but I'm going to try to patch them together. The series is called The Seeking Savior. That the Savior is seeking the lost. Looking for those who he can save. The Seeking Savior. And as we see this text that we're going to be reading from today out of the book of Daniel, you don't read Daniel without thinking about a few things. Number one, eschatology, which is the study of end times. But we're not teaching about eschatology. And then when you read Daniel, you can't read the book without thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three guys that were inside of the fire. You don't read Daniel without that. You don't read Daniel without parking over into the sixth chapter and looking at him sitting in the lion's den and God shutting the mouth of the lions. When you read Daniel, you can't read Daniel without thinking about prophecy, without thinking about dream interpretation. You can't read Daniel without thinking about King Nebuchadnezzar who is the Babylonian king who has anger issues. Uh, I talked about in the last service, the topic was fury and rage. That that king who came in in chapter one, the Bible says that he brought the army in and he besieged Jerusalem. Besiege means to surround, to put the squeeze on. So he squeezes Jerusalem. The king that we know as Jehoiakim becomes the lesser king as Nebuchadnezzar comes in as the main king. Now, Babylonian, uh, Mesopotamian, uh, the, that region was known for worshiping thousands of gods. One god had over 50 names, Marmuk, I believe that was his name. And that particular god had over 50 different names, but he was like a god of war, god of storm, god of problems, then they had a goddess. I think I wrote some of them down that I could give to you so you can have them for your own uh, knowledge. But they had so many different gods. And with all these gods that they had, they were not into having one god. They had Marduk, that's M-A-R-D-U-K, the primary god of the supreme deity 
who had 50 different names. Then they had Nergal. He was the god of the underworld who brought war to famine. He brought war and famine to people. Then you had Tamiet, which was the goddess of the sea, which was this huge dragon. So these were the three main ones. They had two others called Shamash and E, which you could also pronounce as Enkai. They had all of these different particular gods. And with these gods, even though King Nebuchadnezzar was who he was, he was so furious, but he reminded me of some of us in church. Why do you say that? Here's his characteristics. He was well off, he was religious, he was powerful, but he was full of fury. He sounds like some of us. We've got money, got a nice home, got a nice family, well off, very religious. Some things I'm just not gonna do. Some things I'm just not gonna say. But he was furious. He was a king that would cut your head off if you couldn't interpret his dream right. If you didn't interpret it right, he was, I'm gonna cut you into pieces. Yeah, what kind of king is that? What kind of person would tell you, listen, matter of fact, uh, I don't even just want you to interpret the dream so that I know that you're just not trying to say something to me and just try to prophesy anything to me? Tell me the dream. Tell me the dream and then interpret the dream. And then those guys was like, yo, nobody can do this in the world. You're asking something that's impossible. But it wasn't impossible for those Hebrew boys. There was three guys that we talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then you got to talk about Daniel. People leave Daniel out. I don't know why. Daniel is the reason why the three Hebrew boys are even brought up in the first place. It is because of his gift that he goes back and tells them, listen, if we can do this, they're going to do that. So they begin to collectively pray together, which tells you that your company matters, who you're connected to matters, who you go back, who you marry matters. Yeah, who you decide to have sex with. I know we couldn't say that, but it matters. Who you decide to go out to eat with matters. Everything that you do, when you start connecting yourself with people, it matters. Because when you run up into a problematic situation, you don't need people that are going to panic first. You need people that's going to pray first. Yeah, I don't need you to start complaining first. I need you to go to Christ first. When we come together and there's been a traumatic situation, I don't need you guessing who's going to be used the most. What I want us to do is both fall on our knees and begin to call Jesus because something's bigger than what we see. So in the first service, I talked about being poised for problems that a lot of times you don't know the reason why you're going through what you're going through. And sometimes you can have a particular role and God never releases the reason for the role. And you're in the role and you're asking God why and God doesn't say anything. You think that it's you, but God's saying it's not you, I'm looking for him. But I've got, I need you to be positioned and I need you to be poised because this really doesn't have anything to do with you. But I need to use you because I know you won't crumble under pressure. I know that you're going to give me glory regardless of the story. I know that you're going to stick with me even though you don't understand. That's who I'm talking to in this room. Those of you that have made up in your mind, it's traumatic. This situation is bothering me. I really don't have the answers for it. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'm going to be poised in it, which simply means that I'm going to have a certain collectiveness about myself. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to lose it. I'm going to praise God. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to lose it. I'm going to worship God. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to lose it. What I'm going to do is tap into him. 
and I need to be connected to people who understand that this is not a funny moment. This is a moment where I need your praise. This is a moment where I need your partnership. This is a moment where I need you to get up off your laurels and quit feeling sorry about yourself and recognize that all of us have problems, but some of us gotta make up our minds whether we're gonna stay in them or whether we're gonna find a way to live through it. So he, he tells them, you're poised for the problem. And in the last service, I got to talking about Nebuchadnezzar and how furious he was and how mean he was, which would cause this man to make a God that looks like himself, but it's nine feet tall, cast it in images of gold, and then tell everybody, if you don't bow down and worship it when you hear the music, I'm going to throw you in fire. If that's not rage, I don't know what is. If you don't praise, I'm going to flame you like a BK brawler at Burger King. I'm going to do you like a well-done whopper with cheese. That's what he said. If you don't worship. But here's what happens. Those three guys, they decide, I'm not going to worship. There's some things I'm just not going to do. I'll learn your literature, I'll study your history, I'll look at your culture, I'll learn your art, I'll let you change my name, they change their names, but I'm not gonna worship your God. I'm not gonna buckle to the peer pressure just because you got fired. And so I wanted to park it for a second before I go into chapter four. And I wanna ask you, how many of you have folded because of the fire? How many of you have folded from your stance in the kingdom because of the fire? You didn't keep your testimony. You didn't stick with it. You were, you were more with celebrating God than really just being converted over to God. And instead of taking the stance and saying, I'm not going for that, you decided that I'll go ahead and bow. And you bowed. And it was the worst decision that you ever made in your life. But you publicly did it. And now you've committed to a lifestyle that you can't even stand yourself, but you got to keep it up because you've been featured in it. And so now the identity that you have exposed has begun to expand, has begun to multiply. You've actually gained followers from somebody that you don't even like being anymore. You become a soul winner for a soul you don't even like. And the enemy is using you as a change agent. I came in here today to flat foot stand and do just like the three Hebrew boys. They said, even if he don't deliver, that doesn't mean he's not able. There's a certain ableness that comes on a person who decides to stand for Jesus. And what I want you to do, yeah, I'm a talk back to me kind of guy. I want you to look over to your little neighbor, look him in the face, and say, do you want the might of God on your life? Ask them. Now, you shouldn't, if, if, if they're asking you with that whisper, tell them not from you, I don't even want to hear from you. Because you're not even strong enough to tell me. 
Put some bass in your chest if you're a man. Lord, have mercy. Put some soprano in your voice if you're a woman and shout it out and ask them the question. Push it out. How can you stand against fire whispering? How can you stand against the enemy acting like you're afraid to open up your voice? You've got to take a stand and tell them, I'm not going to do that. I don't plan on having that experience in my life. What would have happened had you done that when you did have the bad experience? But because you didn't speak up, you allowed the experience to become a lifestyle. This is the opportunity where you practice being bold, where you practice being a man and woman of God. Look at somebody else in the face, do like me. Open up your eyes, make one of your eyebrows like this, and ask them, do you want the ableness of God on your life? And that's how you ask somebody. Don't ask me with weakness. Don't come around me with all that shyness. I need somebody that loves God enough to get ugly for him, that loves God enough to swing at the devil, that loves God enough to let everybody know, you can't have my family. Not mine. So you sit passively, I'm swinging. Because I don't plan to be burned by this fire. Now pastor, why are you going back into all that? Because in this text today, in Daniel chapter four, he has another dream. And in this dream, I wanna read to you what he says. While I was laying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in, it, in the shade. The birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. And as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree. Love off its branches, shake off its leaves, scatter its fruits, chase the wild animals from under its shade and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field for seven periods of time. Let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. This is the dream that Daniel has. And my topic for this last service is called the wildlife. It's the wildlife. The wildlife is a life that you wake up one day and realize you look like your choices. You lived wild and didn't want to be talked to about it. Because what you were doing was common and what you're doing is normal and it's acceptable to one particular people group. But what the wildlife is, is judgment. 
You can't judge me, black, white, Chinese, all of us said. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. No, you judged yourself. Look at you. You look like your decision. Now, you were born looking like your parents, but you'll die looking like your decisions. And you can't blame anybody for the drink that you took. You can't blame anybody for the crack that you smoked. And you can't blame anybody for the person that you dated. You can't blame anybody for the club that you decided to go to. You can't blame anybody for the vacation you started to take, that you, that you took, but you lied and you were supposed to be somewhere else. You decided that I would do this because I can. And that life, what you don't get, is comprised of missed moments. Let's talk about it. How does Nebuchadnezzar, the king, who is well off, who is religious, who has people working for him, end up living like a wild man? Because what I just read to you was a description of what happened to him, and then if you read it later on down in the text, it says that 12 months later, he became what he dreamed. The Bible says that his hair grew like eagles, like eagle's feathers, and his fingernails grew out with claws. He was crazy. He began to look like his decisions, but it was missed moments. What missed moments are you talking about? Joel, do you remember when you had the first dream, Nebuchadnezzar? That was me trying to talk to you. I was trying to tell you. Uh, do you remember when you put the boys in the fiery furnace and you, you said, did we not throw three in the fire? But I see a fourth one, and then he says, he looks like the son of God. He admitted that what he saw was Jesus. Jesus hadn't even been manifested in the New Testament, but Nebuchadnezzar gets a peek of Jesus in the Old Testament. This is how powerful Jesus was going after Nebuchadnezzar. He gave him a vision of him in the fire. He saw Christ without burning. He saw the Lord walking around with three men that went in bound but walked out not smelling like smoke. He saw a miracle and the miracle couldn't change him. What do you do when the miracle is not enough? I'll tell you what you do when the miracle is not enough. You leave unchanged. You leave ineffective. What else can God do to get your attention. You mean to tell me you saw Jesus in the fire? And you mean to tell me that the Bible says that the fire was so hot that it burned the men that threw them in there and it didn't burn the men that were inside of it and Jesus got inside of the fire and the Bible says they walked around in it. That's the kind of savior that you got that will walk you through your trauma. Glory to God. That will walk you through your problems. Oh, if I just had at least 100 people in North Church that can testify that Jesus walked you through your divorce, that he walked you through your separation, that he walked you through your addictions, that he walked you through your bad decisions, the things that should have burned you up, he walked with you. He walked with you. He walked with them. Jesus, thank you for walking with me. You showed me a part of you that haven't even been seen by the world yet. You're walking with me. Yea, though I walk 
through the valley of the shadows of death and I will fear no evil for you are with me. I think brothers and sisters one of the greatest testimonies we overlook all the time he's with you. You want the house, you want the deal, you want the marriage fixed, and you forget the simplest blessing. I'm with you. When you woke up, I was already there. When you went to sleep, I was watching you. When you got to church this morning, I was already awake. I was waiting on you to walk in here and bless me. I am with you. I am with you. I'm with you in the fire. I'm with you in the flood. I'm even with you when you sin, waiting on you to stop and ask you, do you want it or do you want me? This is the kind of savior that we have. And this is what Daniel is interpreting to this tyrant, this furious terrorist. I'm going to tell you what this tree is. The Bible says there was this tree that went all the way to the sky. The tree represents greatness, visibility, that many of us are wrecking our families and our lives to have. We're separating from our families. We're not spending time with our spouses because we want to be great. Nothing's wrong with wanting to be great. But we will put everything on the back burner because we want to be great. We want to achieve. And in the text, the Bible says that this tree was centered in the middle. So the geographical location that this tree is in the middle and that it is so high that it reaches the heavens. Well, what does this sound like to you? You've heard this story before. This sounds just like the Tower of Babel. You would think being a Babylonian king that he would know the Babylonian history that this was the Tower of Babel, and that there should be a connection to anything that tries to reach heaven without God. That anything that tries to do it this way without God's permission. And so he says, who is the tree? He says, you're the tree. You're the great thing. You're the thing that's being seen. And God tells us how to be great. He says, I will make your name great. But because we can't wait on how God does it, we often create trees that must be cut down. That end up like towers of Bebel, where we can no longer communicate effectively together to do what we need to do collectively. He cuts the tree. Oh, I'm ahead of myself. When we, see, when we see the leaves, the Bible says that the leaves were on the tree. They were very, very green. And then the text says that there were birds sitting on the branches and that there were animals beneath the tree receiving shade. This symbolizes the giving, the generosity of the king. Don't fool yourself. There are people that are not saved that are more generous than the church. But their generosity will not buy their way into the kingdom of God. Yeah. So here this generous king is who does not love God, who's not thinking about God, who is trying to be great, who has reached the heavens. God says, you're a giver and you're great. You're a giver and you're great. Does that feel good? You're a giver. 
and you're great. Because that's why some of you do it. Oh my God, you're a giver and you're great. Oh, you're so good. You're so good to the community and you're great. Oh my God, you pay people's bills. You're a giver and you're great. You know what? We can see you from Dallas. You know what? We can see you. We can see you all the way from Kansas. Oh my God, you're amazing. I can see you on social media. Your followers are up to 100,000. Oh my God, you're such a giver. You're so great. We live for the attention. Until he said, cut it down. Missing moments. Cut it down. So he says, chop the tree down. So when he chops the tree down, the trees got to find somewhere else to go. They got to find somebody else great because your greatness doesn't make it through cutting. Your greatness can't stand to be cut on. So they had to leave. The animals that were using you for shade, the shade that you was providing, that you were given, you're no longer of any use. This is what God does to those of us who choose to be wild instead of operating wisdom. He'll let you grow. He'll let you become what you want to be. You will be the rock star. You will be incredible. The wild life. And then all of a sudden, What started off as applause is an axe. Chopping your greatness. Chopping your generosity. Chopping your presentation. And you're having chopping pains. I can't stop it. I don't know what to do about it. All I know is that I feel feel that things are not the same and what was there is slowly leaving me. It is what happens when the wildlife has taken the lead. The missing moments. The tree is cut. But Pastor Rodney, let me tell you how good God is to us and our wildness. He says, chop it down but chop it to the stump. I want you to leave that there. And then I want you to put some bronze on it and I want you to put some silver, some iron around it. Leave that there. And then I want to put a little fresh text says fresh grass around it. Because what I want you to know is that I don't like that life, but I'm gonna give you a chance to grow again. Oh my God. I'm going to give you a chance to come back. And after you recognize this, and you recognize my pursuit on your life, there will be a change that happens. And the Bible says that after seven years, he began to grow again. That he began to come back to himself. Now that's a beautiful story, but I don't want to experience seven years of being a stump and being a root. But the truth of the matter is, there's some stumps in here this morning. There's some roots in here this morning. And you look good to the other stumps because you got bronze and iron on. But to the other trees, you don't fit. 
truth is you're not a stump. You're a tree. You're supposed to be seen. You're supposed to be great. But not that way. Not that way. And I don't want you to spend another year of what you've been spending over the last few years. And I'm going to invite those of you that's not a shame to admit he's been chopping on me. Things have been leaving. I feel the cuts. I feel the blows. And I'm tired of this kind of life. And I don't want you to allow the title, wild life, to embarrass you from coming to the altar. I want you to rest on your feet. But what I want you to do is nobody knows when the next moment is. Everybody knows where the missed moment is. And I don't want your life to be full of what you missed. I missed them in the furnace. I missed them in both dreams. I missed them when they prophesied to me. I missed them. I don't want you to miss another moment.